Thank you for downloading the Friday Night Comedy Podcast from Radio 4. To find out more, visit bbc.co.uk slash radio4. But not until you've enjoyed this week's news quiz. We present the news quiz with your host, Sandy Toxvig. Quiz, we start with a film review from the Daily Mail read by Harriet Cass. Shifted to 19th century Italy, Michael Hoffman's take on Shakespeare's fantastical comedy has star power in abundance. Though Rupert Everett, Michelle Pfeiffer, Anna Friel, and Callista Flockhart are all eclipsed by Kevin Klein's bottom. <laughs> now, thanks to John and Carol Gordon of Birmingham for sending that in. Now, let's meet the teams. Will you welcome first on my right Jeremy Hardy and Justin Edwards? opposite them on my left, Mark Steele and Simon Evans. Uh, Mark and Simon very kindly standing in at the last minute for two comedians who were unexpectedly unavailable. So... <laughs> Jeremy, whose brand of humour <laughs> wasn't worth the waiter? Um, could you give me a clue, please? Well... <laughs> Yes, think, here's your P45. I think, uh, yeah, I think I know what this is. The whole nation is racked by the questions of the day, such as what should the director-general do and when does a joke stop being edgy and become bullying and bad taste? And I found the answer, which is to turn over to the World Service News. <laughs> I've had the most wonderful week. I started listening to the World Service News on Monday... And I've learnt so much about the world. <laughs> Did you know that there have been car bombs in Somaliland, Spain and northeast India? America has attacked Syria and Pakistan has had an earthquake. So I don't give a flying brief relationship what Jonathan and Russell <laughs> said. It touched, became unbelievable, as it? Because at first you thought it was a mildly interesting story. And then by about the middle of Wednesday, you turn it on and you see these sort of stern reporters going, the Prime Minister has now intervened and has said that it is a very, very serious matter indeed. In America, both candidates have said that they have now agreed to call <laughs> off the election. <laughs> at Windsor Castle, the flag is being held at half-mast. <laughs> No, it was a, I mean, who would have thought that Russell Brand would ever be forced to resign over a sex scandal? I mean, there is a sort of... <laughs> I think they, well, they chose the wrong target. I've got a good analogy. Well, I say good. I'm going to go with it. Yeah. If... Don't build it up too much, Justin. No, I really shouldn't. Um, if you employ two unbalanced chefs <laughs> and then they crap on a plate, yeah. you shouldn't put that plate out in front of the playing public. Surely... <laughs> Gordon and Jamie are two of our edgiest TV chefs. <laughs> well, I mean, the analogy, I'm not defending them, because obviously they've, they've crapped on a plate, but it's the person they shouldn't have crapped on the plate of, of Andrew Sachs. Who is, well, I think who this, is, this is it, because people have seen Andrew Sachs being bullied, punched, having his eyes poked and being tripped up and slammed in the face with doors year after year since the early 70s, and this is the last straw, I think. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, there's the answer, though, because no radio programme has ever got this amount of publicity. So it could be that it will catch on. And, like, Gardner's question time, if the, <laughs> if the ratings are flagging, they'll say, uh, well, Mr Perkins, I certainly shall come to you very shortly about the matter of your wisteria not blooming. But first of all, I'd like to make this call to Dame Judy Dench. <laughs> <laughs> 
I thought was fantastic is the power of the people. I mean, 30,000 people complain and something happens, and I was wondering if we couldn't harness this. I was going to appeal to all Radio 4 listeners to write in and ask if I could be the new Doctor Who. Now, I... <laughs> well, that's, that's 12 people straight off. <laughs> this won't even go out. The whole programme. The BBC will cave in. They do, they cave in. <laughs> They'll record another one. What will actually go out, they'll say, and now this week's news quiz with your panellists, Anne Whittacombe, Cliff Richard... <laughs> do you not think the it's Queen a... and the Pope, and it's, host... <laughs> and it's hosted by the late Dame Thora Hearn. <laughs> Russell Brand and Radio 2 controller Leslie Douglas have resigned and Jonathan Ross has been suspended from the BBC after Radio 2 broadcast a prank call in which Brand and Ross left lewd messages on Andrew Sachs's... Tel- <laughs> sorry, I just get that. Sorry, excuse me, sorry. Yeah, hello? Oh, hello, Jonathan. Um, yeah, no, I can't put you on the air. We're not, we're not allowed. Sorry, you did what to my mother? <laughs> no, really, I, I had no idea she was still that flexible. Right. Um, <laughs> sorry, I've got to go. <clears throat> um, two points to Jeremy. Uh, Justin, who's discovered they can't take funding for granted? This will be the exciting story that university grants will not be as available as they were. The Department for something involving the word skill, the Department for Massive Skills, which clearly <laughs> isn't, not the Department for Maths. So they've worked out they've got a £200 million shortfall in allowing grants for students, and they've changed the boundaries, changed the sort of income levels of, of parents. They've chopped it down from 60000 to 50000 If you earn between 50000 and £60,000, you get a grant of £50. So why bother? Don't only spend it on drink um, and anything under that. And this is due to you know, an unpredictable rise in the number of students who've come in. In the same week, the AQA, which I actually thought was the people you text when you're drunk, but it's the uh, one of the examining boards met with various other examining boards to say we need to redefine our boundaries of acceptable grades. And one of them said, well, I think if you get 20% in an exam, you should get a C. 20%? Yeah, that was one of, the, one of their ideas. So if you get two out of ten questions right on maths, you can go and study maths at university. Well, presumably become Chancellor. I Probably, think. yeah. <laughs> I saw there was a union representative who was complaining. He said that this is said to only affect so-called middle-income families, but in fact this will affect families in which there are two people earning the average income. <laughs> now, I don't know what the definition of middle-income is... <laughs> But I'm guessing the idea of an average income is probably involved somewhere. Hmm. The amazing thing about this, this has come from a government that's big promise was we will have three priorities, education, 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 and then they've done all this. They, at least when the Tories are in, they didn't say, we've got three priorities, mining, mining and mining. It's <laughs> <laughs> terrible for students that. My daughter, she started university this year, and she says, honestly, she said in the student bar, the lager is so watered down now, it's like a homeopathic medicine. <laughs> I get it right <laughs> Did you really say a homoerotic? <laughs> well, unless she's got something to tell me. I don't. <laughs> uh, more bad news for the middle classes. Oh, Jeremy, I can hear you choking back the tears. Uh, thousands of students from middle-income homes will lose their entitlement to a student grant after a government miscalculation left a £200 million hole in the budget. Good Lord, financial miscalculation by the government. Extraordinary. Uh, Mark, who says you can't come in, your name is on the list? Oh, I don't know. Do you know? Is this to do with the boat? It's to do with irritating foreigners like myself. Oh, is it Muslim extremists being... Um, so-called Muslim extremists? Well, I, it's not the word Muslim. I'm going to go with just foreign. foreign. Foreign people not being allowed... Oh, the Minister for Foreigners saying he doesn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> 
roughly speaking? Well, <laughs> yes, that's it. it <laughs> It was actually the, the Home Secretary and former children's magazine, Jackie Smith. Um, <laughs> is that all you know about it? Because I'm not sure I've got two full points for you there. There's a know. ceiling, isn't there? Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> She's not basically said that, they, that, that we are stopped, the... being stopped at borders. Any extremists of various kinds, including neo-Nazis. There's no point letting in more neo-Nazis. We've got them on councils now. Um, so they'll be stopped. And she said that preachers of hate, she said, preachers of hate, which is what parrots say, isn't it? Preachers of hate. <laughs> but she also said that they will be named and shamed. Mm. That will show them, won't it? Yeah. This is people who've got their own flipping websites. These people who cut people's heads off on live TV. I don't think you can name and shame them that much. You can't imagine preachers of hate have got such an acute sense of embarrassment, can you? <laughs> well, especially because they don't drink, you see. That's the trouble with Al-Qaeda. They don't have those mornings where they think, oh, no, what did I blow up yesterday? <laughs> The Home Secretary, Jackie Smith, has unveiled a 12-point plan to ban foreign extremists from entering the country. The list of names will be released in the traditional way uh, by being left on a train. <laughs> I think that... Uh, I think what will happen eventually is that religion will go the way that football has, in that, you know, our football fans meet up in the pub afterwards and it's sort of friendly. And I think that's the way religious tensions will be played out in the future, hopefully. You know, like Jews will turn up to mosques and go, you're damned and you know you are, and stuff like that. <laughs> And it'll just be all dumb chance, you know. Can you hear the Trappist sing? I can't hear a thing. <laughs> I love the idea of bothering to slag off Trappists. Well, exactly. <laughs> and if there's one section of the community that is not actually going to ring up and complain. <laughs> they text, Joe. They'll text. <laughs> anyway, strictly speaking, I'm going to give two points to Jeremy and Justin for that one. Simon... What has been identified as a terrible idea? Did you, did you elongate the word terrible meaningfully terror, there? Was a terrible Oh, terror in the uh, George Bush <laughs> sense. Uh, this will be ID cards, ID cards, which have been identified by somebody called Harvey something at GCHQ, a top Harvey spy. Mattinson. He said, he didn't say they were, they were a bad idea, he said they were being misrepresented. He said the idea that the government was selling them as being any use in the war on terror was poppycock or bunkum or Absolute border dash or something. Absolute bunkum. Absolute bunkum. Which is the way spies ought to speak, and that's excellent. <laughs> he says the main reason that the Labour want to bring ID cards in, apparently, he thinks, is because it will enable all the various uh, government bodies to sort of collectivise their information and join up their databases and so on, and you need to have an absolute... And, and to be honest, if that is what it's about, then I'm relatively relieved if I have to fill in a few less forms in order to get a tax disc, having already applied for a, a roof or something, then um, <laughs> I think it's probably a good idea. I never bought it as a terror weapon, but... Uh, the thing I don't like about the ID cards is this biometric things. I just can't do metric. Um, <laughs> I thought maybe for older people, bio-imperial. <laughs> How many ounces your eyes weigh, you know. <laughs> things like that. I can't do the biometric Could you have thing. baby bio for small children? <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet. Not, not if you put it in their eyes. Actually, um, <laughs> do you speak from experience? Though, well, I've dabbled. I've dabbled in the nursery. <laughs> I meant a nursery with... <laughs> With, with plants in it. I haven't... I'll say now, I've not put chemicals in a child's eye <laughs> for, for months. The question uh, was to do with ID cards. A senior GCHQ security advisor has said that the introduction of ID cards would do nothing to protect us from the threat of terrorism. Jackie Smith, however, has insisted that ID cards could protect us all from terrorist attacks. 
They would, however, have to be six foot wide and deflect bullets. <laughs> are, are they going to be any good at getting ice off a windscreen? That's <laughs> I can tell you the scores are that Mark and Simon have got two points, but Jeremy and Justin are in the lead with six. Can we start round two with a pre-match report from the Leeds United website? Andrew Hughes is suffering from an injury ahead of the weekend clash with Walsall. United boss Gary McAllister said, Hughesy has tweaked his groin and is suffering from a bit of stiffness. (laughs) And our thanks to Ian Morgan of Leeds for sending that in. Jeremy, who fells foul of the weather? Oh, these are those idiots in the Lake District, aren't they? (laughs) Flipping nuisance. All these people who want to think, oh, I know what I'll do with my weekend. Waste the rescue service's time. I'll put on a cagoule and some flip-flops and I'll (laughs) blindfold myself and... Hobble my knees together and then just go walking around in the north where it's dangerous enough at the best of times. <laughs> and, and, and oh, why do they do it? It's just showing off. All these people trekking, showing off, marathons, showing off, fun runs, showing off, cycling across the Pyrenees for the British Heart Foundation, showing off. <laughs> But they all got lost. And then they all turned up. That was the worst of it. (laughs) Well, surely one of them's going to be eaten by a bear or something. Or find Bin Laden in a cave. Something interesting. If you get 1,700 people loose in the countryside, you'd think one of them would come back with an interesting story. (laughs) Not a one of them. Oh, we got cold and wet. And that's it. That's what happened. And £17 billion. I'm making this up now were spent uh, in trying to rescue them all. I love that 300 of the runners sought refuge and it said in a local tourist spot, the Honister Sleet Mine. And you just think, <laughs> you have to love British tourism, don't you? <laughs> I'm sure it's fantastic. I go to the Lake District quite a lot and don't do much walking because uh, I'm fat and it rains. But, <laughs> but uh, they do have, I can recommend if you are in the air, the Cumberland Pencil Museum. <laughs> Which, which has a video on the history of pencil making and also the largest coloured pencil in the world. Wow. Uh, well, two points there to Jeremy. The original mountain marathon had to be abandoned at the weekend after treacherous weather conditions left up to 1,700 competitors unaccounted for overnight in the Lake District. That is dreadful, though. I mean, if only we had some sort of warning system broadcast on the radio and television, a, a forecast, if you like, that would tell us... At the... <laughs> So two points to Jeremy. Mark, why might the ability to get over hurdles help your children get over hurdles? <sighs> Where do you get all these things? There's a story that the champions tend to breed champions. Yep. Look at Callum Best, for instance. Uh, <laughs> and then look away. Uh, I, I didn't read very much about it, but it's a g- genetically... Uh, I saw the one about the chimps. No, it's absolutely true that, that sporting champions are more likely to have children who turn into but, sporting well, champions. They'll play, it says Zara Phillips is a very good horsewoman because her parents are a very good... No, it's because her parents could afford horses. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a son of a table tennis champion, you're yeah. going to grow up playing table tennis. It's not just a genetic thing, is it? Yeah. If you were brought up in the middle of the Amazon 
except that at the age of six days, your father left you there and then went off to be a table tennis champion. You wouldn't be at the age of 20 wandering through the jungle, picking up little bits of coconut and backing them back <laughs> backwards and forwards. I don't know why, but I've got a strange sort of penchant for delivering an absolutely perfect backhand right to the corner of the opposing... Pl- I don't know how it happens. It's <laughs> nothing to do with genetics. It's because you're brought up in that environment. Who are these dingbats? They're obviously the sons and daughters of other dingbats. <laughs> According to new research, sporting champions are more likely to have children who go on to succeed in their own right because mental toughness is inherited. Dr Peter Clough claimed that in sport you have to be mentally tough because it's a lot harder than a lot of occupations. I'm sorry. It's getting a ball through a hoop while wearing shorts. It's really... (laughs) It's not like being Middle East peace on, boy. It's quite... (laughs) Why do you have to be mentally tough? Don't you just have to be good at sport? I mean, like, you wouldn't look at a brilliant tennis player and say, oh, I bet he's mentally tough, would you? You'd think, I bet he's good at tennis. <laughs> Unless they're describing the way, cool, look at that bloke, he's mentally tough. He mentally is. tough. <laughs> Simon, why is being scared too scary? Is this Halloween? Yes. Halloween, which is uh, upon us, and parents, statistically, or, or to do with surveys, are t- too scared to let their children out now, what with binge drinking and Muslims and um, <laughs> the credit crunch. The streets are just too dangerous. And uh, it's not like when uh, they were children. I don't think we had Halloween when they were children. We, we stuck with those good old British ways of celebrating this time of year by burning a, a, Catholic. a, a Catholic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a stuffed Catholic. And we didn't go around knocking on the doors begging for sweets. We sat on the street begging for money. That was the British way uh, to do it in those days. So. I'd say I do, I'm not very keen on dressing up, so I don't like it very much. I went to a party last year for Halloween and I dressed up as Wonder Woman and everybody thought I'd come as Ronnie Corbett. So was... <laughs> My daughter always told me never to give sweets to strange children. <laughs> when, I, uh, when I lived in Manchester, it was sort of late October, but about the 20th, I opened the door to this boy, 15, put his coat over his head and just held his hand and I said, go to treat. And I said, you know, that's not another 10 days. He goes, yeah, and no, I'm going away then. <laughs> yes, Halloween uh, may as well be cancelled. The pumpkin harvest has failed and half of parents surveyed said that they will not let their children out trick or treating. Halloween is tradition, the time when spooks and ghouls can freely walk the streets. A bit like the Tory party conference, but with less dead people. <laughs> uh, the pumpkin shortage is so bad... Sandy, that's a disgusting thing to say. It's fewer dead people. <laughs> do, you, do, do you know, I think it might be a resigning matter. <laughs> Round two, the scores are Mark and Simon have got four points, but Jeremy and Justin are way in the lead with ten. Is that not right? Have referee. I got referee? Have I got maths <laughs> wrong? Is it six? Have you got six points? Yeah, I mean, it's a fair reflection of our mental toughness. <laughs> <laughs> if we're ever to be allowed to breed, we have to demonstrate. I'm so sorry. I, I love the boys on this programme because they care. Right. Before we start round three, here is a cutting from the Northern Echo. A council has decided to drop its investigation into a taxi driver who left his car for one minute to go to the toilet. David Finnegan from Stockton said, You have no idea how relieved I am. (laughs) And our thanks to Ian McLean from Darlington for sending us that in. Justin, have a listen to this. (laughs) 
Actually, I will give Mark and Simon a chance to catch up. Do you know what the music was? Rocky. Rocky, yes. you get an extra point. Well done, yes. It's oh, the theme J- for Jeremy Rocky. said that while it was going on, but he said it quietly. Can we have another point for that? No. Oh. Um, <laughs> who's decided, Justin, to box clever and throw in the towel? This is the world's worst boxer. He's called Peter something. Peter Buckley. Buckley, uh, Buckley thank you. Point. Um, is the yeah, world, another yeah. point there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> We're going to settle this with a fight afterwards. And, <laughs> um, He's, yes, the world's, he's lost 256 fights uh, sort of in a row or just... I mean, he's appallingly bad at boxing and he's decided... I mean, I think he's I mean, the worst boxer in the world. Could be me, I've not tried. I have a real aversion to being hit in the face till I'm knocked out. One of my quirks. But he, <laughs> or, or Sid Little would be the worst boxer. In, but anyway, he is officially, because he's allowed to box the worst boxer in the world. It's a British underdog thing that we constantly celebrate people who are patently bad at what they do and yet are continually allowed to do it. Hence, yeah, Mandelson. <laughs> I think that's commendable. I like that about us, you know, because everyone got too triumphalist during the Olympics, didn't they? And I thought, what happened to that good old plucky spirit where we used to be rubbish at everything and not mind and say, oh, God bless us for a nation of asthmatics. We mean well. <laughs> Pete, Peter Buckley's big thing was that he would take fights at a moment's notice, quite literally could be phoned up in the mm. evening yeah. if somebody had dropped out of a fight and he'd go off and do it. And that's why, I think that's why he lost all the time because he was never training. He was just this guy who would fill in at the last minute. <laughs> He was like a, like a plumber on call, basically. He was like, need a boxer? Call this number now. <laughs> no <laughs> job too small. <laughs> no canvas too hard. I will hit it. He's turned up to fights with black eyes. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Which is a bit yeah, of a giveaway, yeah. isn't it? Even, yeah. I, even I'd fancy my chances. <laughs> uh, yes, Peter Buckley has lost more fights than any other boxer in the world. He's like Tim Henman, but without the ruthless will to win. <laughs> <laughs> Two points to Justin. <laughs> Mark, who's put a time limit on Happy Ever After? Oh, <laughs> trivial stories. It's something about they've discovered a new sort of cockroach or something, is it? Uh, well, no, it's to do with being married. Oh, I've heard this one, yes. About two and a half years, apparently, into your marriage, the, the magic dies and you start leaving the toilet seat up and farting in each other's presence. <laughs> two and a half years... I have to say, sounds to me like the Methuselah of honeymoon periods. Uh, really quite unconscionably long. Well, I suppose it depends whether you have children in that first two and a half years. As soon as you do, then it's dead in the water, that's for sure. But, you, so, I mean, you sound like a, such a cynic. Are you saying this happens to, would happen to Romeo and Juliet? Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou shut it? I'm watching the match. Two, yes. <laughs> Well, given that they didn't get past puberty, did they, before they topped themselves? But two and a half years is, is the scientific maximum, anyway. That's what they... Uh, the that's scientific what they maximum? Absolutely, yes. ridiculous. No. Well, you asked the question. <laughs> I haven't know? been writing the newspapers how this week. How do they week? know <laughs> that romance dies after two and a half years? I mean, is there a man with a clipboard in the corner of your bedroom saying, oh, don't mind me? <laughs> and it's your husband. <laughs> Two and a half years, that's very cynical. And actually, there was a, there's another, I love these surveys. There's a team from University College London has proved that love and hate stem from the same source within the brain. Did you see that? They've discovered that the chemical in the brain that causes love and hate is the same. <laughs> Alcohol. Mm. Um, <laughs> new research claims that the honeymoon period of a marriage is officially over after two years, six months, and 25 days. <laughs> Apparently, seven in ten men admit they are so comfortable with their spouse they often leave their dirty pants lying around the house. <laughs> Do you know, some days I am so happy with my life choices. Um... <laughs> Two points there to Mark. Simon. Here, boy. Here, boy. Who understands every word you say? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> 
this is beyond the normal level of patronisation. So I think you're talking about dogs, right? Yes, yes. Dogs are capable, unlike any other mammal or, or fish, are capable of recognising and responding to human emotion as demonstrated by facial expression. They can tell whether you're angry or cross or confused or just don't know anymore um, <laughs> just by looking at you. So it is very interesting. The way they've tested this is that dogs use a thing that humans also use, which is called the, something like the left bias gaze or something it's like the that. The left gaze bias. Left gaze bias. Something and the male is always accusing us of. <laughs> <them. laughs> <laughs> a very Freudian slip. The, uh, their gaze drifts to the right side of your face, left from their perspective, um, which is where we show our most emotions. And unlike us, they can even do it when they're shown a picture of a human face upside down, which we can't do. When we're shown an upside-down face, we just switch off. But dogs continue with the left bias, which I, I have a theory about, which is I think that they're used to lying on their backs, looking up at you to see whether you're going to tickle their tummy or not. And that's where they've learned. This is what people are paid to come out with this conference. <laughs> there are universities... No, and then they experts and analysts sit around wondering why it is that the world's gone bankrupt. And it's because we've been paying people to work out which side of a person's upside-down face a dog looks yeah, at. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a chap called Dr Kunguao. Aren't we doing um, the American elections? Uh, no, we're not doing the American elections because dogs have been discovered to look upside down at the left <laughs> side. Why, why do dogs need to empathise with us? I mean, it's not like they've got major counselling skills, is it? I mean, they look at you and think, oh, is he happy or sad? I don't know whether to lick my own bollocks or drink the water out of the toilet. <laughs> Maybe dogs could become therapists. No, wait, wait a minute, they're not allowed on the couch. Um, yeah, oh, please, it's nearly the finish. Um, scientists have shown that dogs are the only animals that can read emotion in a human's face. Dr Kun Guao of the University of Lincoln has struggled for years to prove the link between dogs and humans, uh, but was always dismissed as barking mad. <laughs> I always thought the link between dogs and humans was a lead, but there we are. Um, before we reveal the final scores, let's hear the cuttings the teams have brought along. Justin. I've got one from Mark Bloomfield, who has sent something in from the Bolton Journal. A singer who died in a pub cabaret stage after suffering a massive heart attack was revived by a doctor in the audience. Roy Crawford was in the middle of an energetic performance of the Andy Williams jazz classic, I've Got a Lot of Living to Do, when he <laughs> Mark. Uh, this is from Sue Janoszewski. A father of two's novel way of showing his love for his estranged partner brought New Year in with a bang, a court was told. Pennine magistrates heard how Philip Wayman strapped a firework to the side of his mouth and lit it in an attempt to rekindle their relationship <laughs> and win her back. He then thought better of the gesture and flicked it away, but the firework exploded and blew up her kitchen. <laughs> Now, this is from Michael Crisp. It's a cutting from the Artoxito advertiser. The corkscrew, it says, a groundbreaking ride that was the first in Europe to contain a double loop, is to be dismantled next month. It was named the corkscrew because of its resemblance to the tool used to remove corks from wine bottles. <laughs> right, let's take a look at the final score. Mark and Simon have got 12 points, but this week's winners are Jeremy and Justin with 14. Here's a cutting from the Cambridge News sent in by Bridget Buchan. A science fan has had Professor Stephen Hawking's face tattooed on his leg in tribute to the Cambridge genius. Jack Newton, 23, from Brighton, said, I read a brief history of time, and to be honest, I didn't understand a word of it. <laughs> but I respect the man, and that's why I got his face tattooed on my leg. And with that, goodbye. Goodbye.
Justin Edwards, Mark Steele and Simon Evans. In the chair was Sandy Toxvig and the news was read by me, Harriet Cass. The chair's script was written by Lucy Clark, Simon Littlefield and Roger Crooks, with additional material by James Sherwood and Stephen Carlin. The producer was Ed Morris. To listen again to any of our comedies on Radio 4, please go to bbc.co.uk slash radio4 slash comedy.